Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Come on, don't lie to them like you did last week. Come on, mean it this time. Look at them and say, it's good to see you. There you go. Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every time I take the platform, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. So if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible... We got you covered. One of our ushers will get one to you. You just slip up your hand, and they'll bring one over. And if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day, because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Three of you think that? Every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. There we go. So, hey, we've been in a series over the past uh, couple weeks. We're going to continue on through the end of the year, uh, this series that we've entitled The Church. And so I'm going to be reading in 1 Timothy. So I want you to turn there with me. If you're new to the Bible, you can start in the right and very quickly turn to the left. And 1 Timothy can kind of get stuck between uh, 2 Thessalonians and 2 Timothy. And so it's a very short book. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, and I'm going to read from verse 17. If you're watching on the online campus, we're so glad uh, that you've joined us. Uh, You are a part of a big gathering, and we're so thankful uh, that you are a part of us. But here's what I encourage you to do. During this time, uh, like we try to do every single week, one of the things as a staff and volunteers, what our goal is to steward the environment. We, uh, we can't make anything happen, but we can give it an opportunity to happen. And how we do that is by stewarding the environment. And so we try to eliminate as many distractions as possible. And so we just try to uh, make things in a way when we think about worship or we think about speaking we try to make the main thing about the person of Jesus and eliminate distractions that would detract from that so I want to encourage you if you're at home uh, try to set some space talk to the kids gather them around make sure that you're focused don't let it be a time where you're also doing chores around the house and doing this if you're going to gather at home be intentional about it and make sure that you're stewarding that environment because the Holy Spirit wants to meet with you and speak to you and it can be an incredible thing we're so glad that you're joining with us and uh, aren't you thankful for all the volunteers and people who make the online campus happen every single week amen won't you just thank them and uh, we're so thankful for you hey chapter 6 of 1st Timothy uh, verse 17 uh, says this as for the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty and the king james version says command them command the rich charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on god who richly provides us with everything to enjoy 
Let me read that again. That's something you need to know. God is about your joy, and He has given us things to enjoy. Amen? Amen. Nor to set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Then he says, and he's talking to the rich, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. To be generous and ready to share. Thus, when they put their hope in God, not in the uncertainty of riches, and they seek to do good and to be rich and abundant in good works, here's what will happen. They'll store up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I thank you that as we look at this passage, that you would help us do what it commands. You would help us to love you and to see from your perspective. And that you have given us all that we have to richly enjoy. That we may, through our joy serve others, and do good works that bring glory to you and good to this valley. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So today, we are going to talk about the uncomfortable subject of money. Money, money, money. Every time. It works every single time. Time. You can just get on stage, and uh, if the front row crew, you're looking for your seats, I saved them uh, right up uh, here. Go ahead and make your way to the front. And we're going to talk about the uncomfortable uh, subject of money. Good morning, my friends. And, uh, and, and this passage is, is interesting for us. And I, I, I just want to make a, a caveat for you that uh, if you're here and you were a guest and someone brought you and they even might have said, you know, you're going to love our church. It's not like those other churches that have a PR problem. And our church, we never, you know, we're not, they're not, they're not going to talk about, you know, money. <laughs> And then you got here today, and, uh, and we begin to sing money, money, money. <laughs> and you thought, man, what, what are we doing? And, and so uh, I, I just want to start by saying if you are one of those guests, uh, and maybe you're not sure about church or the things of God or even if Jesus is who he says that he is. Can I just say, you can go ahead and, and tune out and, and just act as if you're like a kid spending the night at your friend's house and they have that uncomfortable family meeting in front of you, right? You're like, I don't, why am I here, you know? And, 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 and so uh, just know that we're going to have a family meeting and we're going to have a conversation to those who are a part of the church. And, and see, what I want to talk to you about this morning is the generosity of the church. Over the last two weeks, Pastor Tyler started this series off by talking about the gathering of the church. And, and see, even the word church, sometimes we kind of get confused about what the church is. And I think oftentimes it's because our language is not congruent with what we actually believe. Because many of you, especially if you have kids and kids who, who, who have a hard time getting up in the morning, you, you probably said something like this, you need 
to get it together because we're going to church, right? Right, we're, we're going to church. And, and some of you grew up and you had a, dr- a, a, a drug problem and your, your parents drug you to church on, uh, on <laughs> Sundays and Wednesdays and, and you made sure you had uh, khaki pants and a polo shirt. And if you're still at the Christian Academy, I'm sorry, you're still wearing those khaki pants and polo shirts. And, and, and I don't know why that is spiritual, but apparently you're more spiritual in khaki pants and a polo. And, uh, and so uh, you got brought to church. And so in your mind, you thought that the church was a building or maybe even a service, but something that you go to at 9, 1045, or live at 5 at the Lompoc campus. And sometimes we say that. And, and even my kids who have the great privilege of living in the church parking lot, and, uh, and often they'll say, daddy's over at the church. And that's where daddy's office is at, is at the church. And so sometimes what can happen is because we define it this way and we talk about it this way, we can miss its actual, uh, the, the potency of what the church actually is. This Greek word is ekklesia, which implies the gathering of the people of God. People who believe that there was this man, and not only was a man, he was God in the flesh. And so if you ever ask the question, what was God like, you would look no further than the person of Jesus. I've heard this somewhere before. And these people who actually believe that God became a man, and that's why even uh, we celebrate this thing called Christmas, is the idea that God came to us, Emmanuel, God with us. And, and God became a man, and he lived a selfless, obedient life. And this obedient life took him to the brutal, but beautiful, rugged Cross And at the place of the cross, this was where everything changed. And this was his exaltation at his crucifixion. And we believe that wasn't the end of the story, that his inauguration would be at his resurrection. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he is king of the world. And now we patiently await for his return, that he has established his kingdom in the hearts of his people. And he's not slow as you perceive slowness, but he patiently awaits all men to come to repentance and that men believe in him and have life in his name. And so the kingdom of God is here now and not yeah, and those people who have that shared belief gather together on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. They gather, and God's given gifts themselves. People have different abilities and different talents, and he puts them all together, and they fit, and they help one another, and they encourage one another, and they supply to one another all that they need. And out of them being solidified in who he is they do what he's called them to do which is be a gift as they have received a gift and so the people of God gather together with this shared belief system and so if you are one of those who shares that belief system that God became a man lived a selfless obedient life he died but he didn't stay dead he rose again he ascended and is king and is coming again if that is what you believe then I am talking to 
you, someone say, oh no, <laughs> right? And so, so this is a family meeting for those who have that shared belief. But here's what I'm gonna say. We're not gonna force dogma on you. If you're someone who's an outsider, and so I would say, you don't have to be an outsider. Someone say amen to that. But you don't have to believe before you belong. You can journey with us, and we're all on different levels of faith, and we're all in a different place. And so we open the gathering. It's an open gathering, but it's primarily for those people who believe that. And we encourage one another, and, and we remind one another of this truth of who Jesus is. And, and, and so, but if you're an outsider, you're coming along, hey, you're welcome and journey with us. But sometimes I'm not speaking to you. I want you to listen in on the family meeting and then begin to see how a dysfunctional group of people can somehow come together and be functional by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Someone say amen to that. Somehow he uses broken people and makes something beautiful. And that's good news for people like you and I, friend. Amen. amen. And so, uh, so listen in and, and, and maybe even while you're here, if you're an outsider, maybe you're here because you met someone who had hoped in a world that is hopeless. And you thought, man, why are they joyous? Why do they do this? Why are they regularly go to this thing? Why are they encouraged by it? They seem to be different in the face of trial. They seem to have hope and joy when they should not. They seem to work and try to get better when things are difficult. They don't give up and they move forward in faith. Maybe I want something that they have to rub off on me. Maybe that's why you're here. So welcome and listen in intently. But if you are one of those who calls yourself a person of, uh, of faith, a believer in this Jesus, not one who's branded by crossroads, come on, amen, right? This isn't about a name of a church or the name uh, of a preacher, amen? Three of you say that. This is not about the name of the preacher, Amen. Amen. Although I love this front row crew. And, uh, and, and yet uh, what this is about is this one body, this one church of all the people who believe that. This person of Jesus is not liar. He's not a lunatic. He's actually Lord. And I'm called to serve him because I've been served by him. And I've been forgiven by him and loved by him. So I begin to respond to that good gift. And anyone who ever received a good gift always responds. And the response indicates the value of the gift. So how you respond shows how much you value this gift. And so I'm talking to the church. I'm talking as Paul writes to Timothy, a young pastor, and he tells this young pastor, here's how he should pastor this group of people who call Jesus King and Lord. Here's how he's to pastor them. And he says in verse 17, he says, as for the rich in this present Age. Now, some of you will be tempted when I say that. As for the rich, you're like, well, I'm glad uh, he's finally going to talk to so-and-so, right? Right. Some of you are even tempted to believe in the family meeting. Even if you were part of the family, you're like, this is more for my brother than it is about me. Right? We're having this family meeting because of my sister's actions, not mine. Someone say, oh, no. 
right? And so you'll be tempted to think that this is not for you. But as we do an exegete, exegete is, is in these theological terms to uncover what the scriptures have left for us. And so we look at cultural context and who's writing it and who's he writing it to and what is the original language? What are the words? And so at, like an archaeologist would uncover artifacts, uh, that, that's, that's my role to exegete the scripture, to know what it actually means. Because the worst thing you could, you could say when reading the scripture is what does it mean to me? Because friend, it does not matter what it means to you. It matters what it actually means. Someone say amen to that. That's good preaching. Thank you, Pastor Sam. Glory to God. Amen. Right? Uh, it, it matters what it actually means. It is not subjective to you. This is objective truth. We believe that God inspired these scriptures and he uses them to help us, to exhort us, to correct us, to train us in godliness. Amen. And so, uh, we exegete and cover the actual meaning, but here's the other part. As a pastor, what I want to do is exegete the audience. I want to uncover the people that I'm talking to. And so this sermon would take a whole different feel in different parts of the world. But here in the San Ynez Valley in Santa Barbara County, California, you are blessed beyond measure. Someone say hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And... Uh, and now you know why I wanted them on the front row. And, and, and yet I need to speak to the people in this particular room, in this gathering. And so maybe when Paul is saying command those who are rich, there were some in contrast to others. But I can say to you today that for the most part, with maybe the rare exception of a few, I want to persuade to you that you are more in the haves than the have nots. I want to persuade to you and, and maybe plead with you that when Paul says command the rich, I mean, think about this. Uh, maybe, maybe you've already like, man, that's, that's not me. So let me describe to you what a rich person is like, and then maybe you can see if you fall into that category or not. I don't know if you've seen this. Let me describe to you. It will be really hard to picture uh, because of what most people's experience is around the world and in the history of the world. But have you ever seen this? Most people do, uh, a lot of people don't have houses, and yet these rich people, I know that you've never seen this before, but they have houses for their cars. Have you seen this? Right? You, you see, can you believe, not in Southern California, because you don't actually put your car in that garage. I've seen some people around the country actually use their garages, uh, friends, and they're not uh, man caves. And, uh, and, and so, I don't know if you've seen this, but the people who are rich not only have houses, they have houses for their cars. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, but some people even actually have two houses for their multiple Cars. Have you, yeah, some of you getting uncomfortable, and uh, you should be, glory to God. And, and, and so the reality is, there are people in this world who do not have houses, but some of us have houses for our cars. And, and you're like, man, all right, come on, Pastor Sam. Is this one of those messages where you make me feel bad about what I have? No, the reality is, is I want to help you understand what you actually 
have. See, if you're going to be generous and fall into this command that he gives us, the first thing that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to gain perspective. You're going to have to realize just the situation that you are in. If you're going to adequately be the church of Jesus Christ and be generous the way he's called you to, you have to first understand perspective in what you have. Maybe you're one of those you still are not convinced. Now, these stats were a few years ago, and, and maybe in the context in which we are in, maybe you would think they do not apply. But let me persuade you a little more. If you were to make $37,000 a year, do you know that you would be in the top tier of the top wage earners in the history of the world? Someone say amen to that. Amen. But if I were to say to you, hey, you make $37,000 a year, you are rich. You'd say, are you kidding me? Do you know what it's like to live in this valley, right? If I were to say to you that if you made $37,000 a year, you were in the top tier in the history of the world, one of the most wealthy people that have ever walked on the face of the planet, I would say you are rich and you would say you are crazy. And the reason why you would think I was crazy is because you don't feel rich. And yet, if I were to give you a promotion and you were to make $100,000 a year, and you would say, friend, you have $100,000, you are rich. And remember when you made $37,000 a year and you were like, if we could just get to 100, and then you got to 100 and you're like, man, uh, it's just not quite enough, right? And, and, and then you're like, man, if we just make 150, and then you made 150, and you're like, do you know what it's like to pay taxes on $150,000 a, a year? Are you kidding? And you say, you are rich. And, and you go, but I don't feel rich. And can I persuade you to know what is true, that feelings are fleeting and cannot be trusted? Someone say, Amen that. See, because what we mean by rich when we desire to be rich is not a number. It's arbitrary and it's always changing. What we mean by rich is we want to feel rich. We want to have more than enough. And yet what I want to persuade to you as a pastor who loves you is to tell you that, that friends, we are conditioned in a cultural society that is ruled by the prince of the power of the air. Satan wants to steal from you joy and make you think that you do not have enough and God is more than enough and you are blessed beyond measure because the reality is this goalpost is always moving if I were to ask you at one stage what it would take for you to feel rich you'd give me the next stage and when you graduate to the next stage you would begin to look at the next stage and the next stage and if I were to look to uh, our friend Elon And you were to have a conversation with him and Bezos and Gates, and you were to say, do you feel rich? They begin to point to the next guy. He's like, you know, he just passed me up as the richest man in the world. See, it doesn't matter at what stage you're at. If I were to say, if you made a million dollars, one million dollars, 
They go, do you feel rich? Are you kidding me? You know what the guy down the street makes? Do you know what they make? Do you know what I got to pay? At each stage, you will be tempted to miss what you have in hopes of what you will have. See, I want to help us as we talked last week. Each one of you must be sober in your mindset about who you are, where you are in history, and what you actually have. See, oftentimes what will happen is we are so convinced that at the next stage, that's what will fulfill us. At the next stage. See, friends, perspective will gain for us a lot of different things. See, this idea of perspective helps me understand what I have and helps me enjoy what I have, not miss what I have looking for the next view. See, we've learned this lesson over the years, my wife and I, and uh, I I remember the first time we, we saw the West Coast, the first time we stayed in a room with a view. Many of you don't know, but you could tell from my accent, I'm not from around here, all right? And we moved from the great state of Kentucky, and, and I would in, just appreciate your prayers for our state. My family is absolutely okay, but there are so many people who are devastated. I appreciate your texts, and people who have reached out to me, and it's a hard uh, day in the state of Kentucky. And, and we left the state of Kentucky more than eight years ago, and we'd never even been to California. And we were moving to Visalia to take positions at, at a large church there as youth pastors, and my wife was running uh, the, 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 the college uh, part as, a, as an executive assistant. And, um, and so we left, we Skype interviewed, we didn't even come out and, and, and fly out because our positions weren't uh, at the top tier to be able to come visit. We just did all Skype stuff. And then we, had, we drove the day after Christmas. We did not realize that my wife was pregnant at the time. It wasn't until 10 days later we realized my wife was pregnant with our first uh, boy, Judah. And, and yet we drove in separate vehicles uh, four days across the state. And it was just as FaceTime came out. And so we were, don't tell anyone, we were FaceTiming each other as we were driving. And, uh, and, and as if, we're, you can do that in Texas. There's nothing in Texas. And... Uh, <laughs> Let me remind you, all those people looking for property, there's nothing in Texas, okay? <laughs> and, uh, and, and so uh, as we're driving, we would FaceTime one another, and, and four days, it was like a blessing in disguise. My wife was, you know, instead of uh, being upset about leaving her home, she was having to focus on driving, and so was I. And, and, uh, and so our first impression of California, this great state that we're moving to, full of beaches and palm trees, our first impression of California was the Mojave Desert. Okay, and they stopped us at the border. I was like, where are we? And they're like, do you have any fruits and vegetables with you? <laughs> what, are you what are you talking about? Like they're checking the lawnmower that we brought. Like what's in here? And, uh, and, and then we went from the Mojave Desert to this little town that you've probably never been, uh, been to because you probably went through a little town called Pixley. I don't know if you've ever been to Pixley, but Pixley is a one-horse town with a great uh, one gas station with a great barbecue pit outside. But anyways, and, and we stopped in Pixley in the Central Valley, and my wife with her pregnant spidey senses got out, and she looked at me and she said, if, Vicel- if Visalia smells like this, I'm going to kill you, right? <laughs> If you've ever been to the Central Valley, they say it smells like money, right? It smells like manure, 
friends. It doesn't smell like money. Uh, I've smelt money, and that's not what it smells like, okay? And we got uh, to Visalia, and, and we were there. Once we drove for, for, you know, four days and across the country, we just sat in Visalia, and, and for the next three months, we moved in the day after uh, Christmas, got here around uh, the last day of the year, and, and, and for the next three months, we were just in Visalia. But around March, we thought, man, we got to get out of Visalia, which is what most people say. And uh, you'll get that later. And, and, and so we're like, man, let's go to the coast. We haven't seen the coast. We're the West Coast. We've been here for three months. And, and so I, I kind of splurged and overextended, and, and, and I got a room. And I remember calling. I didn't even, I didn't even understand this, but I called them up. And I was like, hey, I, I want a room. And, and they're like, do you want a partial ocean view or a full ocean view? I was like, do I sound like someone who wants part of something or anything? I want the whole thing. Like, give, give me the whole thing. How many know what I'm talking about? You know, what I'm talking, you know why you know what you're talking Because you're rich. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're sorry. rich people problems. Yeah, I know. I had this partial one time. Anyways, and... Uh, and you, I'm like, man, I want the full view, man. And so we drove, you know, a few hours from Visalia and we got to the Spyglass Inn and we went out uh, over the, the balcony and we're looking at this amazing view and it just hit us, man. I, 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 I mean, I think I paid like 320 bucks a night, which won't get you a room in Solvang. But anyways, uh, and uh, not that I've tried, but anyways. <laughs> And, and, and man, man, that was just, that was way too much for us. And I couldn't believe for one night we paid that much. I'd never paid anything like that. But and we got to get out. My wife's three months pregnant and, and we've never seen the coast. And we got this full ocean view. And then it hits us like, let's go get something to eat. So we go, let's go. And so we we're literally in the room for maybe 15 minutes and we leave the room and then we go down into the, the, uh, the, the crowd that, that is the main drag in Pismo that all of us avoid unless it's middle of the week. And, 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 and so we're down there and, and I, I just thought we'd pop into a restaurant. I mean, I'm from a small town. She's from a small town. I didn't realize how many people were there. And I thought, we'll just go in a restaurant and let's find a restaurant with a view. And so we eat and we have this great view. And then I realized it was an hour and a half wait at every single restaurant and only a few of them had a view and we weren't getting in to those and then we just popped into this diner that we were at for you know we waited 30 minutes and, and then we're, there were so many kids around and screaming we're starting to realize that we're pregnant going to have one of those demons and we're like man what did we get ourselves into and then by the time we ate the sun went down and we left and we got back to our room that we paid 320 bucks a night to see this amazing view and we couldn't see anything right it's completely dark the sun has went down and now it doesn't matter if you got partial or a few it's dark outside right so I'm having the same exact experience that someone else would have had in the other room why because I did not realize what I had once I got it I was looking for the next thing it's like man we go we go to the restaurant with a view we go here, and the illustration may, can, can help us that sometimes we will not see what we have looking for the next thing. And you'll realize at the next stage and the next promotion. My wife and I talk about this 
a lot, the lesson we learned. It was an expensive lesson for us that night. We realized we didn't get to see the sunset. We could have had this amazing view, but we saw it for 15 minutes and then went down the pack with everyone else, and we did not actually enjoy what we had looking for the next thing. We actually stayed up in Pismo this past week as my in-laws were in, and they watched the kids, and we had a rare night away from the kids, and so we went up, and my father-in-law was so gracious, and, and he's, he says, hey, he hands my wife his, his, uh, his card and goes, hey, uh, won't you guys go out and have a nice dinner on us? And we're like, we're going to order takeout. <laughs> we're not going anywhere. Amen. We learned this valuable lesson. We're like, he's like, what do you mean you're going to order takeout? And I was like, well, eight years ago, <laughs> we missed out. We were looking for the restaurant with the view, and we didn't realize we'd already paid for the view. And there it was. And man, everything tastes better with an ocean view, don't you think? And and we learned this lesson, and I think it's a valuable lesson. I thought, as I told him, I told my wife, I'm going to share that. This I just so happened to think about that. And, and uh, sometimes I use that ocean view and partial ocean view as a, a way to teach faith. And yet how I ended up with that illustration, if you've, if you've ever heard me talk about that illustration, how I got it was that time we, we missed out. And, and yet we learned from it. What's the lesson to be learned there? Unless you gain perspective and realize that you are rich. You realize that you have more than you need. And even Paul is going to say it in, in the verses above this that, 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 uh, that godliness with contentment, uh, is, is contentment is great gain. If you can realize that what you have and be content in what you do have. And see, oftentimes as a parent, you kind of understand that and you can give perspective and, and you help others gain perspective, don't you? When your kid starts complaining about all they don't have and you're like, really? Like you don't have anything because I bought it all anyways, right? When we're getting at that stage. Like you really think you own that, don't you? You think that's yours? That's my iPad. That's my bed. I paid for all of this, friend. And when they're like, man, I want a PlayStation 75. And you're like, you should be happy for your Nintendo 64, okay? That's vintage, baby. All right, that's vintage. And, and yet we're very quick with our children to try to gain, give them perspective. You don't realize how blessed you are. You don't have, because all of them are trapped in our limited perspective and we forget, we go out into the rat race and the same things we told our children about what they should perceive and what they should be thankful for, we start looking at others and what they have. Jordan Peterson says it this way in, in his book, 12 Rules for Life. He says, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. See, comparison is that enemy. It starts, and it's why brothers killed one another. Cain and Abel looking to what the other one had. This is not a new conversation. The sin of comparison, the enemy wants to intoxicate you with what you don't have and what you could attain. But we, we have to realize, those who are the people of God, that we are rich in this present age. And here's the reality. You shouldn't become haughty in your, your wealth in what you have because it is fleeting and it is only for this present age, this reality, because I've never seen a U-Haul backed up to a hearse, baby. You can't take any of it with you. Someone say amen to that. So you're only rich in this present 
age, only for right now, what is fleeting, what is temporary, what is life is a mist, it's here and it's gone. So how do I gain perspective? I gain perspective in understanding the gift and value of what I do have as our Heavenly Father has given us all that we need to enjoy. That's the start. Hey, I want to show you this Bible project video that helps us gain some perspective on what it means to be generous in light of the gospel. And then I'm going to come back and give us some practice, some practices and some principles before we close. Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive and there's lots of people, decorations, food and drink. There's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world. Under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way, too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough, and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy, anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over. It's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity. And so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham. And he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need. All they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoiled party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously, even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor, or 
don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously doesn't mean life is going to go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan. Really? Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life and scarcity back into abundance. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, You know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift, the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host, just like Jesus did. Yeah, and when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host. Amen. Yeah, you can clap for that. Man, I'm so thankful for tools like that who can help tie all of Scripture together and look at this one theme, this one idea, generosity, and tie it to the person of Jesus and help us live in light of that and do it in five minutes. So that's why we utilize these, these videos, the Bible Project. If you're not familiar with that, I encourage you to look those guys up and, uh, and begin to dive in uh, to what the Scriptures have for us. Amen. So I want to talk just for a moment. As he says, command the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, to be puffed up, not to hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God. See, there's three things that will help us live generously as the church of Jesus Christ. Number one is perspective about where you're at and what you have. And then the other One is the practice that God has left for us. And the practice helps us in our perspective and ultimately helps us gain principles that help us live. And so oftentimes what happens is, and and I've been guilty of this, because the church has had a PR problem when it comes to money. And because of the, the... and I want to be respectful, but, uh, but accurate in my statement. Uh, the false gospel that is the prosperity gospel has hijacked the principles that we need to value in our lives when it comes to money. Amen? And so because of we've seen it done in error, and just because you've seen something misused doesn't mean that you can't use it and redeem it. And so the enemy's tried to take this very thing that's very potent in our, our society, which is the pursuit and love of money. The pursuit of the next thing, having more, 
See, this all comes, Paul tells Timothy after this, before he says, he, he talks about false teachers. All in first, first Timothy here. He begins to say, there are teachers who try to use their, their teaching and they try to get in debates about uh, certain words and, and, and controversies and they try to make, make you think that they are the only ones who have the keys to unlock something in spiritual. If any preacher speaks like that, you hear it, turn them off. Amen. And I'm no guru. I'm a guide. You want to be a guru, good luck. And all these people who have been gurus over the years with money have found themselves in scandal after scandal, found themselves lacking integrity, and the enemy has used them to distort and corrupt. And so he says, no, 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 we should call out false teaching. And here's the reality of this false teaching on giving, which is you can give to get. Give to get. You give this amount of money, you'll get this. You give this and this will happen for you. Anything that sounds like that sounds transactional. You give and I'll get something. And that's how God is. God is an ATM. God is a genie in a bottle. God, God is someone to be manipulated well, if I think like that, that's just witchcraft. That's trying to conjure up something, say the right words, unlock, unlock the combination lock. And if I give and I do and I put together, well, that, that sounds more like uh, casting a spell than it does actual biblical Christianity. Amen? So what I have to do is understand the principles of giving and generosity. Because the principles of the kingdom are this. I give to gain. Not give to get, give to get things that are fleeting, things that I can't hold on to, things that, that rust and wither away, and things that I bought on Amazon this week will be in a garage sale next week, friend. I give to gain. I give to gain perspective. I give to gain a healthy heart. Because the reality is, is my stuff tends to corrupt and own me more than I own it. Someone say amen to that. Sometimes what happens is my heart gets conflicted and confused. Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So God gives us the practice of intentional, regular generosity. The practice of it. So that we can have GPS for our heart. So we can know because we get confused. We, we start trusting in our jobs. We start trusting in our sources. We start trusting in the stock market. We start trusting in all the things that we think will support and sustain us. And we are always meant to realize just like a father who walks into his kid's room, all of this is mine. Hear him say to you, all of this is his. And he richly gives to you to enjoy not to be corrupted by it not to become greedy over it not to lord over it not to come closed hands with it thinking if I just if I just hold on to this I'll be supported and sustained and what you realize because you know those people who have everything and yet seems as though they have nothing 
What's it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So I give to gain. I give to gain that which is truly life. And life is not in money, friends. We can do better than that. Life is not in money. Amen. Amen. Wasn't that good? Wasn't that so helpful for us? Because this is what he says in verse 10 before we get it. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This pursuit, this love, love of something that's fleeting, and yet you realize that it's the things that money can't buy are the things that cause you to be rich and prosperous and to enjoy the things that you have. And so the practice of this that the church has is in his in biblical times it was called the tithe people throw that word out that's a that's a churchy word which literally just means 10 so the principle was this that you would give a small bit 10% of the whole now some people go man the, the tithe that's that's old testament not new testament and there's a lot of different ways to think about that they say that's the law of moses well actually uh there was a tithe before the law of Moses. And so people will say, hey, we're still to tithe. And then some churches teach to tithe because they don't trust people to give. And so they feel like a, a yoke of bondage of the tithe will make them give. I think the posture of the scriptures was always to help you realize that giving was always about gaining an eternal perspective. Realizing that you should store up for yourself treasures that are in heaven, that are eternal, that are not fleeting, that are not here and gone because you can't trust in those things. Notice that, that, that you can take inventory of your heart. Your anxiety tends to go down when your bank account goes up. Have you ever noticed that? Three of you notice that? Let me say this again because it's universally true in our society. That your anxiety tends to go down as your bank account goes up. And then watch what happens when your bank account goes down. Have you ever noticed that your anxiety goes up? Right? Just the pastor? Okay, great. And yet that's a marker. When the Bible says be anxious for nothing, but with prayer and petition make your requests known. Give us this day our daily bread. Think about what's here, what's now. Why worry for tomorrow? Have you ever noticed that it's never tomorrow, it's always today? That's good news, friends. Somebody say amen to that. The simplicity of your Kentucky pastor. It's always today, you know. You ain't got to worry about it. Why? Right now, right here. Enjoy what's right in front of you. And the practice that God has given us is he's saying, have a regular and start with it. You say, I can't afford to give. Most of the time people say, I can't afford to give on a regular basis. It's because you've only thought about it at the end. And here's what you gain when you begin to set a regular practice of giving. You'll start with it. See, that's why we start our week on Sunday meeting in churches. 
the first day of the week, the day he rose again. This is the day, Sunday, where we start our week off going, God, this is about you. I trust you. I love you. I am for you because you have lavished your love for me and I want to live for you because you died for me and you give me life. And I start every single week that way. So then I start thinking about my finances the same way. I take the part, the small part, so that I gain perspective that he owns all of it anyways. And what will happen is when you start doing this thing of practicing regular diet of generosity, you'll gain perspective on the whole and you watch what happens with the whole. It won't necessarily mean that you'll make more money. What you'll realize is you'll do more with your money. You, you'll go, you, you go, hey, maybe we don't need that. Maybe that's not profitable. Maybe I want this. I don't really need this. Maybe I'll realize, maybe I'll even start to look at the whole of things and go, you know what? God has generously blessed us in the San Inez Valley in Santa Barbara County, California. You live near the beach, friend. You got rich people problems. Amen. Amen. Oh, you should do better than that. Amen. So then, don't trust in that. Don't be haughty. Be humble. Be rich in good works. Realize what you have so that you store up for yourselves a firm foundation for the future. And that future is the day he returns and he establishes his kingdom that he started right here in the hearts of his people. And someday the fruition of that will come and he will come again and he'll establish his kingdom and we'll realize that none of this rat race really mattered at all that there was something bigger and something better amen the practice see I had to start realizing that I needed to help people understand the principles and the practice of giving See, as a, a, a young pastor, and I, I'm a lot younger than I look, actually, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, I think, six years ago now, I've been lead pastor at 27, and I turned 35 in March. And I grew up in a time where the church has had a PR problem about money. And so I was insecure about teaching on money. I thought people would hijack that in the prosperity movement, so I just avoided it. And so I never took up the offering. I didn't teach on it unless the, we preached the books of the Bible, unless the text brought it. And then I had a lot of people in the church that still listened to guys that maybe weren't overtly prosperity, but man, every book they wrote was about, man, getting wealthy and having your best life and, and having the blessed life. And then when I read those things, I got, man, I don't know that this lines up with the Bible. And so I, I, I then realized that most of the people in the church who were helping the finances of the church were people who gave faithfully because they'd been taught that. And I had to realize that it was some other pastor that taught them that. Somebody before me or at another church. And then I realized all these influx of new believers, people who didn't grow up in church, they didn't understand the principles of giving. And it was my fault because I was their pastor and I hadn't taught them. And so a few years ago, I started realizing, well, I'm not going to make it a big thing. And I'm going I'm I'm to have to become bold about it because Paul tells Timothy, a young pastor, command the rich 
to give generously. And they would understand that if they did, they would gain so much. And so Pastor Joe and I and the staff, I started going, no, I, I have to be responsible. And so I started taking up the offering at the end of service. And if you've been here for any length of time, I, I, I would preach the sermon. And then at the end, I'd give you like a two-minute little teaching. Quick, try to be every single week, a little bit often. Because the reality is you go, uh, why does he do it every single week? Because you think about money every single day. You think about it every time you pump gas, <sighs> right? Every time, every time you go to the grocery store, you think about money every day, don't you? Amen. So we need to be reminded at least every week, at least every week. And so I would start doing that. I would give these little principles and, and then I, I just wanted to like, I, I wanted to make it something that you weren't emotionally or manipulated to do. And so some people thought, you know, you got to pass the plate in front of people, make, you know, make them feel bad because the guy beside them, you know, like, and then there were preachers back in the day with like, they called it a silent offering. They didn't want to hear any coins hit the plate, you know, silent offering, no change here, you know, right? And so I thought, man, I don't even want to do that. And COVID gave us a really good excuse to do what I'd always wanted to do, which was to put it in the back and let people do it on their way out as they felt principled to do it. And so I, I had the excuse to go, hey, you know, COVID, you know, and because uh, we were really worried about COVID. And uh, I don't know why that's funny. Uh, but uh, anyway, I, I feel like I need to give a caveat. I, I, it's real, okay? Uh, I, I, I just, yeah, so anyways. So we put it in the back so you could give on the way out. And I just thought, man, let me teach you. And as God begins to deal with you, especially if you went from outsider, not home, to maybe like, man, I'm following Jesus. What do these Jesus people do? The, man, they give generously. And they have this practice of regular, intentional generosity. You can call it the tithe, or you can call it intentional. Or you can call it setting your heart's perspective every single week and go, you know what, God, I'm not going to trust in my riches and what I have because you give richly. I'm going to set aside my small part. And here's what happened over the past four or five years. We went from a church that oftentimes we would see large donations that would come in and there were people who were very generous, but also very wealthy who would help support the church. And here's what's happened over the few years. This church is more than almost 60 years old. And we just spent, had the best two financial years in the history of our church. And I don't know if you know, that was in the middle of a pandemic. Amen, amen. And you know what it was? You know what it was? It wasn't those that we think are rich and they oughta. It was actually people realizing that they were wealthy. And they were rich. And God had called them not to ignore this. See, if you, you already agreed that you have rich, rich people problems, so you can't be offended by this, you can't go, man, I can't believe they talked about that today. You don't get to because you are those rich people that he says, command, charge. Tell them, don't be offended. Don't be upset. Gain perspective. And so... What we realized over the past two years is all of a sudden our giving looked way different, that it was a lot of people doing a little portion. And when a lot of people do a little, we can get a lot 
done. Amen. See, God is not asking you to do more. What he's doing is asking you to get healthy and get whole and gain perspective and do a little bit that you may gain a lot. Be regular, intentional. Because here's what's happened over the next few weeks. Man, I'm excited about January. We'll call an annual business meeting and we'll report to you all that God has done, specifically in the finances of the church. And we'll tell you about the plans we have coming up. And I believe God has helped us gain a healthy church financially. And God is going to call even more of us to be a part of us. And here's what happens. When you get healthy like that and you get intentional like that, you start realizing you have even more than what you thought from that position. And then he'll inspire you. He'll inspire you to go above and beyond. See, I think God's getting ready to call Crossroads Church to do above and beyond. He's calling us to stretch ourselves. But we'll never respond to the inspired You know, that thing that we all get excited about and see churches have manipulated their congregations over the years. If they're not careful, they'll always put a project in front of you. They'll always put a missions thing in front of you to try to inspire you and make you emotional in order to stretch yourself and sometimes do something that you really can't afford and give and stretch. But here's what I want to help us do. Be intentional and healthy in our heart of generosity so that when the time comes, and God does call us and he inspires us, man, we have a healthy heart that can handle that. Amen? 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 So here's the principles. Blind generosity. Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's not so you can, man, we did that project or man, that went to that. I want a plaque on that. I want a recognition for that. No, no, no. Blind blind generosity cheerful generosity Jesus says this God loves a cheerful giver amen not out of compulsion not out of emotion but cheerfully giving the third principle of giving is faithful the Bible says that if you're faithful not that you'll get inspired by this message and go, hey, you know what, baby, we're going to do this. We're going to set her apart. And then two weeks later, a month later, when it gets difficult, or man, you're like, do we really give that much? Man, that seems like a lot, you know? Uh, and, and, and you go beyond your feelings. You become faithful in spite of your feelings. Amen? Blind, cheerful, and faithful giving. And the Bible says when you're faithful over a few, he'll make you ruler over much. You'll gain more than you ever thought and it will be for his glory and the good of this valley will you pray with me gracious heavenly father we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us i thank you that you've called us to be generous i thank you that we as the church let the outsider listen we realize there's a group of people crazy enough to blindly give their income that they may gain perspective and a healthy heart, that they may see what they have and enjoy it to the glory of God. They would give blindly, cheerfully, and faithfully, and that would be their practice, that they might have a healthy heart, that they'll gain perspective, that you own everything, and will use all that you've given us for your glory and we'll enjoy you forever in Jesus name and everybody said amen will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise